Good morning. The title today is Being Different is a Good Thing. Uh, I don't know how you feel about that, but um, I can remember when I first moved to Hong Kong, I got on buses and rode around in different places and was meeting new friends and seeing new things. And in some ways, it was really exciting because a lot of the people at Hong Kong Baptist University like to uh, take it, take the opportunity to get to know a Westerner, and so we got to talk about different things. And so I really felt great about being a little unique. Well, then I began to notice, whoa, whoa, I come out in the bar. Okay, maybe I won't move so much. Um, then I began to notice these little kids that kept coming around and saying different things, and they were talk, pointing at me, and they would say, he's, he's really fat. And then they say, oh, and his nose is so long, and, and, and look at that skin. You know, I mean, they had hair on his arms, and they'd walk up to me and put their hands on me. I guess checking to see if it would come off or not. I don't know exactly what that was about. But the good news was, I didn't understand them. Well, I began to go to language school, and I thought, well, learning language will help me to better understand the people here. The more I learned, the more I understood the little kids, and the more offended I got. Uh, because I began, <laughs> began to realize, not everything is great when you're different. Not everything is natural when you're different. And so, I began to understand that that which is natural and that which is good for me sometimes are not exactly the same thing. As today we're looking at Paul's third page of his letter. You know, this is, we're going through this letter slowly, and this is third, page three, or chapter three. We see Paul challenge us one more time in our lifestyle. And Paul is, um, reminding us that being different is not natural, but can be desirable if that difference is found in Jesus. Paul was a writer that, as you've already noted in his writing style, he was not an entertainer. He didn't write jokes. He didn't write all the funny things that he had experienced in life. But then again, he was writing from prison. And so his worldview and his experience was pretty tough. Following Jesus was not easy for him. It didn't mean that he wasn't willing to continue to follow. It just meant it wasn't easy. The responsibility of the reader, the readers in the church there at Colossae, when they received this letter, was to grasp what Paul was trying to communicate to evaluate the essence of the meaning and apply it to their lives. Paul, in essence, would have had a real difficult time with a lot of the current uh, television preachers of our day. He wasn't there trying to uh, make everyone feel comfortable, but he was writing with purpose of seeing people find meaning and purpose and direction and change in their lives. He expected them to not only read, but to apply what they had read. 
I think in the same way today, we need to recognize that there is a cost when we become a Christian. We truly have to challenge our own natural desires and habits and things that we do with the potential of what God can do in us if we follow Him and if we learn and if we study. One of the terms we use in China quite a bit when we're doing training and when people are going to different places to encourage churches is self-feeding. Because the truth is there were not enough ministers in China, there are not enough ministers in China, and there will not be enough ministers in China to continue to treat people like babies where we're just feeding them with a spoon. We have to be self-feeding. And it's true of all of us in this room. Hearing from a minister, hearing someone preaching, if you will, at you or toward you, is not nearly as valuable as you opening his word, chewing on that word, and trying to apply it to your life. The scripture is not, or is not made up of words that are hidden for understanding that you absolutely cannot apply. Paul wrote this letter in chapter 3, knowing that that church was going to receive this and have to apply it to their lives. He was not trying to make it into some kind of a a secret code. His intent was to say words and write words in a way that they would be able to understand that following Jesus was difficult, but it was so rewarding. Not necessarily hee-hee-ha-ha fun, but it will give them a new life. Today we live in a world where Our attention spans are very short. You know and I know. We watch television. We have our little telephones. You can't hardly get into a conversation with almost anybody under the age of 40 that's not sitting and listening at the same time doing something here, some kind of a texting process. And even those of us over 40 are a little guilty too. Media is coming at us constantly. To read and engage and sit and, 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 and challenge ourselves with the content of the Bible, with other Christians growing and learning. Um, it's a little bit outside of the norm to say, hey, let's get together. Let's just go read a book together. There are still book clubs around. They can be found. But many, many people do not read a book ever anymore. I remember when I first went off to college, I had a professor that used to teach uh, a physics class that I always enjoyed because it was fun to watch him. But I can remember the way that he taught because he would his face would face the people, but his eyes would face the ceiling. And it was a teaching method that would uh, assist him to appear to be looking at the students while, in fact, he was nervous being with students. And uh, the, the only negative that I saw in it was that very often the students, including myself, became very distracted. And it made it difficult to concentrate on what he was teaching because um, it was just looked so silly to us. But his content was good. 
There are many distractions in the world in which we live. Paul is trying to say, I know that you have much going on in your life, but I'm going to send you this letter, and I'm going to continue on on page 3 with telling you exactly the value of following Christ, but it's not going to be easy. Today I want us to continue to look at the true responsibility of being a follower of Jesus, even though it's not always fun and simple. But Paul was saying being a disciple is why we come together and we study and we grow. Matthew 28, 19, and 20, of course, challenges with our evangelism. It challenges us with our question of what level of a commitment we have. You know, I've actually met people that really felt like baptism was an alternative. You want to be baptized? Good. If you don't, it doesn't matter. Well, according to obedience, according to what the Scripture says, it says we should want to be baptized because that is a point of obedience. It's not a part of salvation, but it is a commitment. Paul was writing to the people at Colossae with a commitment and understanding that they were committed. He wrote to them with expectation that his words would be highly valued. So he gave it to them hard. He gave it to them strong. Didn't give it to them in an entertaining way. But he said, I expect something from you. A question I would have for us today. Have you ever known of a Christian or known a Christian who became a believer but never matured in his faith? He accepted Jesus, but he didn't grow. Now, a question I have for you. Is that the church's fault? Or is that his fault? There are people who have made that initial decision, who have said, I know I need Jesus. I know what he has done for me. I want to accept him into my heart, and I will follow him. And that's where it stops. Life's perspective in Christ is one that calls us to be different. And that's a good thing. If you look at chapter 3, verses 1 to 4, we can see, and as I've already warned, uh, that he was not writing to try to make us feel good, but we can see that he's trying to push us to develop new thinking, new perspective on the world and ourselves. He wanted the Colossians to put out some effort to grow and develop as Christian disciples. Uh, No, probably Paul would never win any kind of a special competition for being uh, entertaining, but he would be one who is there to provide maturity for those who are reading. And Christian maturity was his goal. It's very interesting to me that, indeed, this was a problem that existed 2,000 years ago, and it exists today. We have people who want, if you will, the equivalent of cheap grace. We want to become a Christian just enough to get a chop and say, okay, I'm okay. I'll accept Christ just in case pie in the sky heaven exists, and then I want to go on and do what I want to do. What Paul says is, there's an old man and a new man. 
And there's a responsibility that's tied to it. But I can't make you do anything. Your teachers cannot make you do anything. Your brothers and sisters in this church can't. Only you make the call whether you want to be self-feeding or not. Paul also reminded the Colossians that their very life is in Christ. We've studied this as Christians. But let me ask how many people you know there are that are truly serious about this decision and their lifestyle. Do we recognize that in Christ, everything we do is Christ? How we use our money, how we talk, how we care, how we pray. How do we make decisions? Who are the friends we make? Who are the people we leave out of the possibility of being our friends? What are the ministry opportunities that we take on? Why do we take them on? Paul was preparing us for some details that follow on in chapter 3, verses 5 to 8. And he continues on with detail. And he says, you've got to put to death whatever it is that's keeping you from being more. Brothers and sisters, there are things in all of our lives, I certainly have things in my life, that distract me, challenge me, pull me in the wrong direction from making hard decisions that would demand my time, my effort, my energy. Paul is saying, it's normal. It's natural. Don't be shocked if that happens. But don't give in. Don't surrender. Again, the cost of following Christ. It's not simple. It's not easy. But it's worthwhile. Put to death whatever keeps you from completely serving God. This refers to destroying whatever makes you distracted from God. I don't know what kind of hidden sins you have in your life. You know. It's not my responsibility to find your hidden sins. But I suspect that most of us have some. The last thing we would really want is that person sitting on our left or on our right to really know all of the sins we have in our life. All of the things that we do that keep us from truly being 100% committed to Christ. In verse 5, it talks about sexual immorality, impurity, lust. You know, when I was young, these were things that sometimes the church was rather um, reluctant to talk about. It, it makes people uncomfortable. But the problem is, these things exist in everyone's lives. This is not just a, a teenage issue. This is a human being issue. Immorality, lust. If you want to look, all you have to find out, read anything on pornography in the, the way that it has grown in our world, and you can see. There are too many careers, even the reference to the oldest profession, prostitution, should say something to us. When I moved to China and began to live there and, and work and find myself working with business people, that the, the expectation was, if a business meeting came, someone was going to set up the girls for the businessmen. 
so that after the meeting they had a place to go. It's not new. The challenge for us is do we recognize that the Scripture 2,000 years ago was dealing with this issue. And it called it a challenge then. It was natural then. But natural doesn't always mean good. So I would say to anyone in here, just because something feels good, you feel based on your emotions, you're connected with this or with that, the feeling is not the issue. Paul was trying to challenge them. We talk about relationships. Today we have an issue, as we're all aware, TWU. We thought, I thought that was already a past story. I was wrong. The last three or four days, the TWU law school issue has returned to the news. The references to the law school. The first day I heard it, it was referencing the homosexuality issue. And it said, oh, well, the reason that the lawyers in general are saying that uh, the TWU uh, system is wrong is because it only emphasizes uh, heterosexual relationships. The second day I was watching the news, it came on and it said heterosexual, heterosexual relationships in marriage. I was very happy to hear that, that second reference because they went ahead and added the second point. The point is, yes, it's true. Christians will go ahead and recognize that actually, strangely enough, God created man and woman to have children. I haven't quite figured out how that works. Why in the world people conclude two men or two women could, but that's another issue. So the question came before us about homosexuality and the fact that Christians sometimes stand up on those things, on those issues. Then it went ahead and it said something about heterosexual relationships. And I thought, well, that's good enough, but that's not close enough to get it all the way to the point of the issue. Really is, we talk about relationships being within marriage. You see, we talk about the issues of premarital sex. How many people in this room, if we're really honest, have never been challenged at any point in our life with premarital sex. I know for the ones that are all running around at the ages of 25 and 27, they're thinking, ooh, mom and dad, are you kidding? But in fact, we're all human beings. These kind of pressures, and you have to make a decision. I will, I won't. My standard is here, my standard is there. Standards are important. Values are important. Paul knew that. Paul challenged them. He said sexual immorality, impurity, and lust must go if we are to be true disciples. In the ancient world, we have to realize that relationships outside of marriage were very common, very normal, and absolutely accepted. In our world today, turn on the television and you tell me if you think it's accepted. You cannot watch a television program today that has not got something within it where basically it's people that are unmarried having all kinds of relationships. And then, of course, the, the other question about the homosexuality is a secondary issue. But both of those are different kinds of issues. But either way, outside of marriage, Christians will have a question. So does that make us 
conservative, radical, unusual in our thinking? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. I am strange. I actually believe that Paul knew what he was writing 2,000 years ago. He knew there was a problem. I have a cousin whose wife many years ago and I were talking and she made a reference to, it was the idea that for her husband to, to look and notice another woman is okay, but just don't touch. That particular reference I have used in here before. And I still think it applies because my, the problem was she seemed not to quite grasp the fact that sin occurs in the heart. Sin is not always something you see people do. It's not always an activity that can be spotted and written down. They did this. Sometimes sin is just living inside. That's where the word lust gets into this. Impurity gets into this. Paul knew what he was writing about. He understood people. And apparently the church at Colossa had a problem with it. He wouldn't have written this if it didn't have value. Brothers and sisters, the only reason that I use this as a scripture today is to remind us that we're no better than they were. Not every one of us. I'm not saying everyone in here is this way or that. But we can be guaranteed that we have the same challenges. It is a challenge to be different. To know that our society has values and goals that are different. Yesterday I was speaking with a friend who is a lawyer. And we, this, this very issue came up about the differences in the values of our society and what Christians are to value. The question for us is, are we bold enough to stand tall? As we look, this is what Paul is screaming for. He's screaming out in his letter. Chapter, uh, chapter, uh, page 3, chapter 3. He's, he, is, he is trying to tell these people, you're in danger, you're in danger, you're in danger, and today I come to us and say the same thing. If we do not represent our Father in the way we should, the kingdom of God will be impacted. BCBC's future will be impacted. May not make us popular if we truly follow Him in all that we are. But at least we'll be able to get up and look at that spiritual mirror in the morning and say that we're trying our best to allow Christ to be Lord of our lives. To me, that's a valuable experience. To be a disciple of Christ is not to be a disciple of this world's values. As we move on and we look at uh, verses 5 and verse 6, it talks about idols, and it says evil desires and greed must go. I'm not here to try to tell you what you are like. I'm saying that we all have these challenges, that we get focused on ourselves, And then it goes on and it says, 
In Matthew 6, 19 to 21, I want to read another scripture that refers to the heart. Because there's a question that says, how many idols do you have in your life? That's what Paul was talking about in Colossians. But if we look at Matthew 6, it says, Lay not up yourself treasures on the earth. Where, the, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. The question for us today is, where is your heart? Is your heart a willing heart to change? To be different? To realize that we stand for something different than the world around us? Or does your heart desire to feel comfortable and excited? Friends everywhere, but no standards of any great value. Verse 8 says, put off anger and rage. Apparently, Paul thought this was an issue. He said, put it off. No more anger and rage. Apparently, he's never driven in Taiwan. You know, for those of us who have driven in Taiwan, I promise you, I'm not sure whether it was anger. You know, anger is usually short-lived. And rage is something that builds up within you. The more you drive in Taiwan, the more of the rage you can get. I remember when I first started driving there, I would watch and I would say, you people are insane. Of course, I was the one turning insane in the process. And I thought, oh, just, just unbelievable. Then I went to driving in mainland China. <clears throat> Taiwan began to become a place that I looked more and more forward to driving again in that society. But anger and rage, what gets you there? Do you ever find yourself, maybe it's internal, maybe it's external, but just reaching a point of questioning your ability to even control what you have going on within you? You know, one of the things I find interesting is Jesus didn't do this, but he had something called righteous indignation or righteous anger. And I don't know how many of you have ever experienced that, but I know it's different. When was the last time that you were angry? Be honest. Was it a righteous anger or not? Was it over something that was truly of spiritual value to the kingdom of God? Or was it just something that you needed to learn to get over it? You know, we're in a world where there are just things coming that are just always going to be bothering you. But as far as it being a righteous anger, being connected with something you see of eternal significance, those uh, experiences very often are quite different. Verses 8 and 9, he goes on and he says, put off slander, put off filthy language and telling lies. I remember, and if you keep looking at verse 8 and 9, he's talking about the tongue, the danger of the tongue. And of course, if you look in Proverbs, you see Scripture after Scripture talking about the tongue and the discussion of what the fact that the tongue says good things, says loving things, and the same thing the tongue can do is to find itself uh, giving cursing to others. The dangers of the tongue. But the issue there is to say, put off lies and slander. I can still remember in my language study with that same teacher back many, many years ago studying Cantonese, especially Cantonese, I should add. I was in class and was talking and he was asking me some questions and I said something and he started laughing. 
I said something, I said something again. He kept laughing. He said, okay, I've got I to tell you this. Now. He said, you've got to understand. We Cantonese have got a lot of slang. And our slang tends to be kind of dirty. And he said, you just said, and then he, he said, and I can't even say it. He said, let me write it down. The guy wrote it down. And then when he wrote it, I couldn't, still couldn't understand what he, then he tried to describe what it was. I didn't know I was saying these things. But he said, boy, with Cantonese, you're just going to have to be real, real careful. Well, I can assure you, I've probably said things that many times over the years that I didn't intend to say. But when we're talking about the lies, the slander, and the filthy language, many times those are things we know better. When we're saying it, we know we're hurting them by what we're saying, and we know we shouldn't be. Maybe it's to your husband. Maybe it's to your wife. Maybe it's to your children. Maybe you've just lost it. The Scripture is saying, I know these things happen. Paul is saying, this is reality. This is the world in which we live. Hang in there and fight hard. Fight the good fight. Verse, chapter 3, verses 9 to 14. We must understand some of these things. Because here it goes into some detail. And I know that I've heard many times Chinese say that Christianity is a Western religion and not relevant for Chinese. Well, the Greeks had some of that same kind of thinking in that they thought they were a unique body of people separate from everybody. They're the Greeks. And there's everybody else. Many times in Asia, there's the Chinese and there's everybody else. But when you're in a population that makes up a fifth of the world's population, maybe that's pretty accurate. The Indians are running right behind it because they're, their population's right after that. But the point is the Scripture is calling out the challenge to say it shouldn't matter whether you are Chinese, whether you're Canadian, whether you're Indian, whether you're Greek, whether you're Hebrew. We should be one as a body of people. It's not saying that there are not those natural realities that exist. But at the same time, it's challenging us to be more than just be racist in our thinking. Without a full charge in our heart and mind... We are a use, we're useless as disciples. We, we may say that we are believers, but there's no proof in our lives. Today, a question that I would ask is, what proof would others say that there is in your life that a new man is in your heart? You know, this, this reference to new man, Paul is used in several books of the Bible, including the book of Romans. The old man, the new man. And the challenge is to say that in Christ we're supposed to be something different. Um, the old man is natural. The new man is created. These days, as you're well aware, here at BCBC, one of our um, committees 
of which we have more than an abundant number of, I should admit, is seeking to help us find an individual who might assist in the area of youth ministry. In the process, we came along uh, with, uh, we, we came along to the point that we began to receive all kinds of different resumes from different people. And um, some of them are most creative. And I haven't read them all, but we've had certain individuals who have, as we've received uh, resumes from different continents, um, different abilities to communicate in the English language, um, various things like that. But we had one interesting individual that contacted me, and we talked. And it's a lady that's 37 years of age who was describing her background. She is an individual who had become a Christian in Pakistan. She is Pakistani. Her English is wonderful. But we were just talking. I thought, I'll talk, you know, I mean, if you ask, you have to understand my personality type. I'm one of these people that, when it comes to who are you willing to consider, my answer is anybody that can walk. And probably even some that who couldn't. I mean, I'll talk with anybody. It's not an issue. So we, we're just talking to this lady, and she said um, she became a Christian. Her father was an imam uh, within the Muslim faith, one of their religious leaders. And she's married, and her husband is Punjabi. And then I asked her about language. She said, yes, I speak Punjabi as well. And so the conversation kept going. And she shared with me that her husband's father was a pastor. So the, the husband's father was a pastor. The, mother, the, the wife's father was from the Muslim faith. And so she, they, she had that kind of a background going on within this family. And we continued to talk. And she had recently graduated from a seminary in Ontario. They have several children, uh, I think two girls, if I remember correctly. And um, we just kept talking about the various things that uh, had influenced her life and where she was going. Now, this individual came with a cultural background, a language background, there are many things that we, would, we have to consider when we're looking for personnel for a church. Uh, as the church had to look also in considering me, and obviously they don't always do a great job because I'm here, and I'm very happy to be here. So you need to keep praying for your personnel committee, you know, but that's another issue. But the, the point there being, in that process, we met someone of another race, another background. So then the question has to come, does that play a role in accepting them to work in our church? Now, there are certain reasons. You know, if you're looking for specific jobs, specific types of jobs, maybe being a youth worker would be different if we were trying to find someone that was working in the area of religious education or in music or something else. But I'm just saying the potential of meeting Christians from different cultures is always out there. How do we treat people who are different from us? Paul is saying, the question is, are they part of the family of God? If they're part of the family of God, it's our responsibility to break down barriers and reach out in love. doesn't mean you have to hire them to work with but you do have to love them. You have to relate to them. They have to become part of your family. 
And Paul says, don't forget that. There's no Jew, there's no Greek. To become a disciple is to develop a mentality that is different. So Paul is pushing it at every, every effort, every opportunity here. Do we ever allow culture to control our values more than our Christian identity in Jesus? What do you think? Are our decisions based on our cultural background? Or are they based on society and society's values? Or are they really based on what Jesus would see as important? Paul was calling that to question. Paul was saying to the people at Colossae, you're going to have this pressure, you've got it now. He's saying, in your city, your church is not a big church, but you guys have to be different. And I want you to be different, and I want to encourage you to be different, and I'm here to be your cheerleader in how to do that. There are no divisions of finances or status. There are no classroom conscious or no class consciousness between different peoples. There was no need for ritual behaviors to say you're one of the members of their circle or not. He said if you have those kind of values, you'll be prepared. You'll be a good boy scout. You'll have compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiving each other. Love bringing unity. You know, in, in Asia, there's a term that I remember when I went to the Sun Yat-sen Memorial when I was in Taiwan. And it, there's, a, there's a term that says, to do, to do is easy, to know is hard. Or, to know is easy, to do is hard. And you have to choose which one of those comments is correct. Paul was not interested in entertaining the church. He was not interested in becoming a great teacher, a famous person that all people would know. He was interested in encouraging the people of Colossae to be self-feeding. Brothers and sisters, today I come here to be a cheerleader that you become a self-feeder, that you seek out opportunities. Now, when I say self-feeding, it may mean you find other brothers and sisters to study the Word with. It may mean in your own home you study the Bible more. It may mean you ask us to start more Bible study groups in our church or in our life groups that we work with week one to develop more circle there for us to be able to gather. But be a self-feeder. Be a hungry Christian. That's what Paul was saying, is if those people at Colossae would be hungry, God would bless them and care for them. Let's pray. Father God, we pray this day that we would be individuals desiring growth in our lives. Father, we come recognizing we are sinners, recognizing that none of us is without pride and, and selfishness, uh, that we're, we're very, very natural in what we do, and we do tend to let the old man take control of us more than should be. Father, we would ask 
that you would be our teacher and that you would give us joy and excitement and hunger to be new because our lost world around us needs to see Jesus. Amen.